Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Heartland Politics Show and Podcast, which is aired on and distributed by WVIK, Quad Cities NPR. WVIK is the flagship public radio station in the Quad Cities region of northwestern Illinois and eastern Iowa. This is your host, Robin Johnson, and today we're continuing our election analysis of the midterms. Um, previous shows have looked at uh, the results from uh, Illinois, and uh, we also did a, a look at what happened nationally last week. Today, the focus is on Iowa. And who better to explain what happened and why than Kay Henderson? She's the host of Iowa Press and news director of Radio, Radio Iowa. Everybody knows Kay. Um, she's regarded as the dean of the Iowa Capitol Press Corps. Kay, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, um, looking back, and we interestingly, we, we don't have everything decided yet, but uh, there's enough to draw some conclusions. Before we get to the specific races, what's kind of your, your uh, broad theme of what happened on election night in Iowa? Well, it was a red wave in Iowa. There was only one statewide candidate for the Democratic Party who eked out a victory. Every other statewide race from the U.S. Senate and all of the state officers. Um, it was a very, very Republican year. In the legislature, Senate Republicans gained a couple of seats and have what is now considered a supermajority in the Iowa Senate, and Republicans in the House picked up seats to add to their majority. It's interesting how the difference, you know, we're here in the Quad Cities where we were when both states and, and Illinois uh, was, if anything, a blue wave, which was mm -hmm. a surprise that went even further Democratic. Iowa had gone, gone the opposite. Um, what I mean, it, Iowa went from being a state that voted for Obama twice to Trump twice and regarded as purple here not so long ago. That's pretty right. much over. What, what are the reasons you think that Iowa's taken this sharp turn? Well, one reason I think that Republicans here did better than they did in other states like for instance, Arizona, is that none of the Republican candidates in Iowa are what you would consider people who have denied that President Biden is president. You don't have quote unquote election deniers here. You have people who've said that there are perhaps problems in the 2022 election results in other states, but not in Iowa. So I think that's one factor in that Republicans and independents in Iowa looked at the roster of Republican candidates on the Iowa ballot and didn't see any that were, um, you know, on the fringes, if you will. Um, they considered them more mainstream. Um, and then you had at the top of the Iowa ticket in Governor Kim Reynolds, someone seeking reelection. Um, the last time an incumbent governor in Iowa lost was Democrat Chet Culver in 2010, and he was beaten by a guy who'd been governor for four um, terms in Terry Branstad, the Republican. And then you have to go all the way back um, to 1952 and the defeat of a Republican governor by Democrat Harold Hughes to find another instance in which a Republican governor was, I mean, an, in, in the, an incumbent um, governor was defeated. So Iowans sort of like to keep the help around as former Des Moines Register columnist David Yepsen used to say. Well, and, and the Democrats just, uh, um, would you say, and again, before we get to the specific races, but would mm -hmm. you say that your candidates were maybe 
weak or were they stronger? I mean, what is this how 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 demoralizing is is this for them? Are there is there anything that maybe tea leaves out there that suggests they can do better, or is it going to be just really really rough? Well, in talking with uh, Democratic candidates who ran for Congress, some of whom ran for legislature and some of whom ran statewide races, um, universally they felt that the National Party did not invest in Iowa races. And if they had invested in some key races, um, there might have been better results for Democrats. Um, in the governor's race, there was no outside money supporting Deidre DeGere, the Democratic candidate here. Um, we had a very competitive third congressional district race here with incumbent Cindy Axney, a Democrat from central Iowa, who lost by just a squeaker there of a couple of thousand votes. And you have some Democrats who are um, upset that the Democratic National Committee and you know the the campaign arms of the U.S. House of Representatives Democratic Conference didn't invest in that race more heavily. You know, it was interesting. We'll start at the top with Senator okay. Grass, and um, I kept hearing I, I had Paul Begala on uh, the, the Democratic consultant who was best known as his work with Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. And I remember he said, keep an eye on that Iowa Senate race. And I heard that from several people, but it wound up it really wasn't that close in the end. Um, were you seeing that it might be closer? Did it go about like like you thought it would? It, it was Chuck Grassley's closest race since his first race for the U.S. Senate in 1980. Uh, Mike Franken, the Democrat running against Senator Grassley. Grassley, by the way, was seeking an eighth term. He's 89 years old. And polling by the Des Moines Register, its famous Iowa poll, showed that there were questions from independents and even some Republicans and certainly Democrats weren't going to vote for him, but about, about the age issue um, in early October. But those people did, in other words, come home and support Senator Grassley in the end, and he won by about 12 percentage points. Um, Franken was able to raise a good bit of money. At the end, he did have people coming in and campaigning with him, uh, former senators and uh, the likes of Howard Dean's 2004 campaign manager came in and campaigned with him. But it just wasn't in the cards, particularly in Iowa when you saw such a huge Republican wave here. I thought myself when it when I saw TV ads from Grassley coming on going negative on Frank and I thought, oh, right. there's a sign that may be tightening up and maybe it did a little bit, but uh, they Correct. weren't taking any chances. No. Now, what's what's interesting is if you look at um, statewide vote tallies and, and start with Governor Kim Reynolds, who was running for reelection, she got the results of 709,000 Iowans. Grassley got the votes of 281,000 Iowans. So there were some Iowans who just dropped off and didn't vote for him who supported um, Kim Reynolds, or they just chose to not to vote in that um, particular race. Interesting. Um, you mentioned Governor Reynolds, and she really uh, had a smashing uh, cruised. Yes, exactly. Victory. And uh, I remember there was a Des Moines Register poll that showed the race a little 
a little close back in what was it june or it was early in the campaign but again it just didn't sometimes that works against the challenger because it wakes up maybe the incumbent and they take it a little more seriously i don't know but it seemed like reynolds was full court press the whole way I think the early uh, polls still showed this to be a double digit race. Uh, it wound up to be almost a 20 point victory for Kim Reynolds. And it was clear if you were as I was covering the campaign that Kim Reynolds was the top of ticket leader here for Republicans. And she traversed the state in the last three weeks of that campaign. She brought other Republican candidates along with her she had fundraisers for other candidates um, all through the summer and fall and really was the person leading this ticket. Whereas in other campaigns in which you would have a Chuck Grassley at the top of the ticket, you would think that he would be the, the Republican leader, but it was Kim Reynolds in this election. Yeah. I, uh, um, I had both candidates on the show and, uh, it seemed like DeGere had a, 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 without taking sides, it just seemed like she had a, a decent message as a challenger, but it, but she, I don't know that I, I she didn't have any. She didn't have any money. She didn't have any money. She had a really hard time raising money. Um, she had raised very little money at the beginning of the year uh, and just didn't have any support coming in from around the country uh, of, for her candidacy. I thought it was interesting that uh, uh, Reynolds took a very active role in assembling the ticket and going after some of the Democratic, uh, other Democratic statewide office holders. Right. And, um, I was picking up things, too, from some of my sources that was concerned the Democrats were going to get swept uh, in, in October. And they almost did. They but, almost uh, did. Yeah. How were, were any of those races? I mean, they took on two long term institutions of Iowa Democrats politics in Miller and Fitzgerald. Right. Were any of those places close at all? Um, they were. They were far closer than the governor's race. And um, the theory is that Kim Reynolds, because she did have a 19, almost 20 point victory, she did carry those fellow Republicans across the finish line. Brenna Byrd, the Republican who was running against Tom Miller, the longest serving attorney general in the country, uh, was defeated. And Robbie Smith from the Quad Cities uh, state senator was elected as state treasurer elect. He defeated Mike Fitzgerald, who also was the nation's longest currently serving uh, treasurer at the state level. So those were interesting outcomes, very narrow. And the one race that was run, won by a Democrat was won by state auditor Rob Sand. He's a Democrat seeking a, a second term and his race was decided by 2,700 votes on a statewide basis. So very narrow victory there. You know, I saw where Tom Miller, at least on TV, fought back. He had TV ads going uh, against Byrd and that was a very spirited campaign, at least on the airwaves. I didn't see anything. I saw some some from Robbie Smith Lake, but I didn't see anything from Fitzgerald. And there was even talk. Um, I was picking up that he, he he ran a campaign that seemed like he didn't really, I wouldn't want to say didn't care, but really didn't put his full effort into it. He didn't raise very much money at all. And he did not um, actively campaign to the extent um, that Tom Miller did. 
You're listening to Heartland Politics on WBIK Public Radio in the Quad Cities. This is your host, Robin Johnson, and my guest today I'm very delighted to have on, have back, is Kay Henderson. She's the host of Iowa Press, and um, uh, which is very, uh, I know a lot of people are familiar with that. It's only had three hosts in the, in the whole time it's been, uh, Dean Borg and David Yepsen and now Kay, which is uh, great. I I love watching that show. It's as as we talked earlier. It's good old fashioned journalism and, and shoe leather reporting and great analysis. Uh, she's also the director of Radio Iowa. We're talking here today uh, about what happened in the election here in Iowa, and as Kay said, it was clearly a red wave, which is what people were expecting nationwide, and didn't really happen. And we're still looking at all the little differences in states. It was really an interesting election as far as differences by states, even of what happened in Illinois, we talked about, did have kind of a blue wave, Iowa, red mm-hmm. wave. Um, we were talking about the statewide candidates and um, Rob Sand was the only Democrat to win. The other two incumbents lost. Um, and it seemed to just put a scare in him because I didn't see where his opponent was doing much at all either. And I would add one really interesting little factoid to our discussion of these statewide races. The top generating candidate for votes in the 2022 election in Iowa was the state ag secretary. He got 720,000 votes. That's more than the governor and more than Chuck Grassley got. So that's just a little anomaly. You know, I was going to guess, interrupt and guess, but I didn't want to interrupt you. I would (laughs) call Paul Pate. I was going to say Paul Pate, the secretary of state. He, um, he, he was the second vote getter on a statewide basis and i, I was going to mention both of them that they they were running competitive races as well and, and won mm-hmm. overwhelmingly um and and it was interesting the three narrow races uh the republicans won one and and rob sanders is is the last man standing so to speak for the democrats and the interesting thing about the rob sand race is that his opponent is a guy named was a guy named todd halber a realtor from central iowa Todd Halber uh, was fired from the state of Iowa. He was the chief financial officer, the comptroller of the Iowa Alcoholic Beverages Division. And he sued the state of Iowa for wrongful termination. He says he was terminated because he unveiled some overcharging of uh, Iowa retailers and restaurants and and bars that buy have to buy liquor from the state of Iowa because the state of Iowa is the wholesaler. He sued. There was a jury trial this fall during the campaign. He won a $1 million jury verdict. And, you know, earlier I mentioned the fact that the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, was having a bus tour for three weeks before the election with all of these statewide Republican candidates on that bus, with one exception, Todd Halber. He was kicked off the bus. (laughs) He was not invited on the bus. And... He had suggested that he would request a statewide recount last week. This week, he dropped it. He conceded the election, and he said it was because the Republican Party of Iowa would not help him with resources. He didn't raise very much money for his campaign. He lent it $10,000, and I think in mid-October, he had something like only $6,000 left in his campaign account. And Sand raised a lot of money. I mean, is he... He was the top. He raised a lot of money, and... um, I think Democrats are looking to him to provide some of the answers for their party moving forward. He is a native of Northeast Iowa, the Decorah area. 
and uh, comes from an area of the state where Republicans did incredibly well. He won his home county of Winnesheet County, and he's been able to connect with rural Iowans and actually had some Republican uh, endorsers who were starring in his campaign ads. So I think that he is a person that Iowa Democrats are going to maybe model themselves after, um, whereas there are other Iowa Democrats who say we're not progressive enough. So that party is going to have sort of a of an internal debate about how they win statewide elections in the future. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be incredible pressure on him to mm-hmm. uh, lead, lead maybe the party comeback, but also to uh, seek one of the bigger offices down the road. And there was this last time too. Uh, Correct. In the congressional races, Iowa's four congressional districts, it's it's interesting how quickly it's changed over the years. It went from three Democratic seats, one Republican just several years ago, to a clean sweep. Was that a surprise at all um, on what, what happened in losing the third district, or was that going to be close from the get-go? It was a targeted race early, and uh, there was not as much outside money spent on that race as one would have thought. Um, it was a very narrow victory by the Republican candidate, uh, Congressman-elect Zach Nunn from the central Iowa area. Um, but I don't think that if you were asking Congresswoman Cindy Axney, she would have told you that was a surprise. In every one of her races, her first win in 2018 and her second win in 2020, she won one county in the congressional district, and that would be Polk County, where Des Moines is located. Turnout in Polk County was not as big in 2022 as it was in 2018, and that really was the factor in her her loss. It was interesting. Turnout in Iowa was was down from uh, four years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Just a uh, tad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and that's a little surprising, and maybe that's got something to do with kind of the distancing with, with, with the Trump. Uh, among the Republicans and the turnout maybe doesn't come up as much if Trump's not a major part of the ticket, although that has possible negative reverberations as well. Well, Um, you know, we had Trump here um, the Thursday before the election campaigning on behalf of the Republican ticket in uh, way northeast, northwest Iowa and Sioux City. Well, the third is looks like it could be competitive in the future. And and actually, in the end, the Quad City District here was a six point margin, which um, I mean, Miller just had ads on it seemed like wall to wall and and Bohannon had some, but not not quite as many. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it you you think that'll be competitive? And and also, what about the district up in the northeast, the second district? Well, if you look at those two Eastern Iowa congressional districts, the new first being represented by um, Congresswoman Marionette Miller Meeks for the next two years based on the results, it had a had had a Democratic voter registration edge. But the key is you had some Democrats and you had um, independents who are leaning Republican. And that's what we saw in 2020 and in 2016 when Donald Trump carried a lot of uh, the counties up and down the Mississippi River, which had been, you know, Democratic bastions over the years. In the new second congressional district, which is the northeast quadrant of the state, you have a representative who comes from the Cedar Rapids metro, uh, Congresswoman Ashley Hinson, and she scored a sizable victory 
18 points in a district that actually had a voter registration edge of 119 Democrats on November 1st. You know, you brought that up, and I, I want to talk about the legislative results as well, but I, possibly the biggest shock to me, uh, and I, I follow Iowa, Iowa politics, but not as closely as you do, but the biggest shock to me was the losses of some state legislative Democrats along the Mississippi River. I mean, this is the Obama-Trump territory. This is where the, the big, you know, it seemed to me that was where elections were going to be won and lost. And it seems like the Democrats have lost rural Iowa. Now they're losing these factory town areas and there's not going to be much left to make gains. Uh, was that a big, as big a surprise there in Des Moines as it seemed to be to me uh, on those results? Well, um, you know, Dubuque had been trending toward Republicans for the past four cycles. There, there were election victories there for Republicans. It had been an area just dominated uh, by Democrats in far southeast Iowa. You had Dennis Cahoon, who is the longest serving legislator currently. He did not win re-election in the Burlington area. A Democrat defeated uh, on uh, November 8th. So I, I think those trends have been happening for a while. We're just now seeing places like Clinton County, which will now be represented entirely by Republicans. It had um, one Democratic representative in the area. Now it's entirely represented by Republicans. And I will say too, on, from a TV ad perspective, there just wasn't any competition. It was all uh, the Republicans mm -hmm. had the money, enough money to put on TV ads. And as much as we don't want to, I hate to admit it, that does make a difference. Well, and it, you know, spurs turnout. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not everything's decided, but what's what, what's uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about what happened in the legislative races, the House and the Senate? Well, the key here is the Iowa Senate. They now have 34 votes uh, for any of Governor Kim Reynolds appointments to head state agencies or to be members of state boards and commissions. They have to be um, voted upon by senators and confirmed by at least 34 votes. So that means that Democrats have no means of standing in the way of any of the governor's choices for, the, for those positions. Um, there is a little bit of a caveat there. Um, the Senate Republican leader, Majority Leader Jack Whitfer, has been living in Ankeny um, for most of his, much of his adult life, and he changed residences to a condo in Grimes, which is another uh, Des Moines suburb, and someone is challenging his, his residency status. A hearing on that will be held um, in several days to determine whether he does indeed live at that address. That, that people are citing a, a water bill. It's, it's unclear whether um, state law for elected officials in the legislature is as stringent as it, as it may be for local government officials for county supervisors and um, city council seats. And how did the House turn up? I, I did see where Democrats picked up a few seats over in the Des Moines area. They did, but um, Republicans gained seats. Um, there are a couple that are, are sort of in play here, but uh, as we sit here, it looks like Republicans have 63 of the 100 seats in the Iowa House of Representatives. There's a race in Scott County which um, showed that 
a Republican narrowly won it on election night. And you would be far more familiar with this, but there was a recount of ballots um, in Scott County ordered by the Secretary of State. And it shows that the Democratic candidate there is now ahead by um, a few votes. And then there is another race in um, the Council Bluffs area, the Omaha Council Bluffs market, where um, it appears that a Democrat has um, outdistanced, out if you will, a Republican by just a handful of votes. Time for a couple more questions here with Kay Henderson. I, I, uh, uh, I, have you heard yet what, what direction uh, th this is going with, with uh, State House Republicans as far as policy in the next legislative session? What are they going to be looking at uh, to focus on? Uh, any priorities developed yet that you think you've heard of? Well, Governor Reynolds definitely has priorities, and she's made clear that school choice, if you will, is her number one priority. Um, it's unclear what her bill may, may look like. Over the past couple of years, she's had sort of limited proposals that would apply to a subset of students um, whose parents would get essentially state scholarships to cover the expenses of sending their child to a private school. Um, there are many observers who think the governor may embrace something that is now law in Arizona, where student, where parents have a choice. They can use their allotment for their child to either send the kid to a public school, send the kid to a private school, or use that money to cover homeschooling expenses. We don't yet know what she will propose, but it will be something that she has been making clear um, applies to all parents, not just a certain set of parents or a certain set of students that may uh, meet some socioeconomic or performance of their school uh, metric. Number two, um, Kim Reynolds is now the chair of the Republican Governors Association. And at its meeting last week, she said that she hopes to, by the end of the next four years, the term she just won, get Iowa's income tax down to 0%. Uh, she said this as she was sitting on stage with Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, which doesn't have an income tax. So that is something she's going to continue pressing for. She signed a, a big tax cut bill this past year, but obviously wants to cut more. Republican legislators have been talking about ways to reduce property taxes in Iowa. So I think education spending and tax policy will be at the top of their agenda in 2023. And the governor will be taking on a higher national profile. Uh, and I think it's going to be very interesting. Uh, Absolutely. I see her name pop up, perhaps in discussions of uh, vice presidential uh, for, on the Republican side. Last question. It, it seems like we have to we have to bring this up every interview. Uh, we got about 30 seconds, but the latest on the Iowa caucuses, I know it's it's not looking probably good on the Democratic side, better on the Republican side. Could it be split where one party has it and one doesn't? It can. It has been in the distant past. We don't yet know what Democrats are going to do, but it appears that the Iowa caucuses will not be first in the nation for Democrats. They certainly will be for Iowa Republicans. And of course, we've had our first in-person candidate in Arkansas, Governor Asa Hutchinson, was here um, just right after the voting was done on November 8th. So the campaign is underway. Just what everybody wants to hear. 
Exactly. Happy holidays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get ready for the ads coming on again. Uh, Kay Henderson's been my guest today on Heartland Politics. Very much appreciate it. She's the host of Iowa Press and uh, director of Radio Iowa. It's been a pleasure. Excellent uh, analysis, as always. And I, I always uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thanks for the invitation.